If um, if my phone goes, as per usual, I've got a timber delivery coming. <laughs> okay. You're just showing off because you've got some work. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. I don't know when I'm going to do the work. YouTube is just taking over, isn't it? it? It's absolutely. I mean, I've just about... I was so far ahead over the holidays, I haven't got like eight-odd issues, uh, eight-odd um, shows done. Yeah. And now I'm back behind again and... It's just, it never seems to be, no matter how much you build the shows up in advance. The cushion. It just disappears, doesn't it? It's it's a funnier yeah, thing. It does. I, uh, I'm exactly the same. And this leads into one of the topics that I, I had actually, sort of getting started on jobs, you know, analysis, paralysis, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a little bit like when you get a big job in of, of almost any size, you get a bit overwhelmed by it. There's so much that you have to look at. And there's so much you have to think about. And you start going into this OCD thing where you try and plan every little detail and every little thing. And then you sort of fill your time with other bits and pieces as they come in. And before you know it, a week or two has slipped by and you haven't actually got started on the, on the meat and potatoes of the actual job yet. You're still fannying about with little details. Uh, and it's I, I find it really hard to, to get over that because it's so much easier, as we know, just, you know, with little bits of YouTube and whatever else, it's so easy to get distracted by, by those sorts of things and on all the other little bits and pieces that, that you need to do. I find exactly the same thing. Um, and, I mean, at the moment, I've got the problem that I've got this giant waiting list of work but I don't feel that even for short-term stuff, I don't feel comfortable booking anyone in at the minute yeah. because with everything else that's going on with YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, um, it's very – I've got a couple of jobs that I've got to get done because they're for regulars and the the kind of very time-dependent jobs that I've, I've got to get done over the next couple of weeks. And then that's going to potentially follow on to another one. It's more commercial work, mm. uh, more exhibition-related work. Oh, right. Um, so those are kind of top of my job list because they're, they're very, you know, it, it's disastrous if I don't deliver in time. Yeah, of course. The, the knock-on effect would be <laughs> fairly grim, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, the reputation knock-on and all sorts would be disastrous. So that's kind of top of my list no matter what yeah. anyway. And then anything else, um, I'm struggling to get past that kind of... The, there's a big enough waiting list to take us well into next mm. year, but like probably into summer now, but I'm struggling to get to the point where I can even say, well, okay, I might be able to do that in four weeks' time or five weeks' time or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, do you not find with a waiting list of that length then that some people just lose patience or, or they need it doing... And they, they, as much as they love you, they want it done. And if you can't do it in the next six months, then they're just going to find somebody else. Well, yeah, and this is the the yeah. exact problem that I've got because now I'm having to go through from the bottom of the waiting list yeah. for the people who have been waiting the longest, but the vast majority of them have, have gone. Yeah. Even though they've, I always say, well, look, I'm booked up for the next six months. I can add you to the waiting list, and if anything comes up, I'll be in touch. That's generally kind of what I say to people. Yeah. Because I don't want to give them a specific time frame because it could be three months, it could be six months, it could be eight months, depending on how much... On how you feel, let's be honest, Andy. Oh, well, I don't want to do your work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and a lot of it is down to the whole, as we say, the YouTube thing, and we don't know where that's going. So I've got to keep a certain amount of time set aside for that um i mean do, and do you were saying you try and keep a bit of a backlog or i don't have anything planned or booked in for quite that far ahead i've got a couple of people who like me again they're guys people folks i've known from the handyman days and i still do little odds and ends for them so little bits and pieces of painting or whatever else and they have sort of ongoing maintenance issues in that they need the back of their house looked at set of French doors that are getting a bit soft down the bottom or that sort of thing. Those are just sort of ongoing maintenance things. And when I've got the odd couple of days spare, I'll see if they're around and, and go and deal with those sorts of things. So they're just sort of always on the back burner sort of jobs. But 
uh, I don't actually have a, a proper waiting list for real work, if you like, uh, more than uh, about three months uh, three months ahead. Uh, so that that I, I, and to be honest, I don't like to plan much further than that ahead because you never know, you know, what's going to happen. I, I call mine a waiting list, but really, it's just a, an email folder of people who have said I will try and get back to you at some point. That that it, it's not structured in any way. It's not like I'm going to do this job then and this job then. I mean, sometimes I, I do have the dates planned out. As you say, any more than three months, it's imp- it's impossible, really, because all it takes is one job to overrun, and then you you you're out by a week potentially. And well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't like. I'm sure you do as well, but uh, I only ever give very broad range dates, so it'll be towards the end of October, sort of thing. I've I've got a job on the books now. Uh, saw a guy a couple of weeks ago. I think I'm, oh, we we were chatting offline in, in real life, weren't we, uh, about stuff. And I'd been to see a couple of people uh, and one job was for sort of 450 quid tidying up a sort of an outdoor bench sort of thing. And a, the other one was for four and a half thousand, which was for a big set of wardrobes and a big set of shelves. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, I, I rattled the quotes out fairly quickly, the estimates, and a really fast set of drawings because... I thought, you know, there, there's no chance the four and a half thousand one is going to fly. There might be a chance that the four fifty one might. Uh, and of course, the the four and a half thousand one said, "Yo, yeah, that looks fine." You know, <laughs> when can you start? And the four hundred fifty quid one has said, "Oh, well, can we do this bit of that job, but not that bit? Can we do the you know the two cheaper parts of that?" It's just uh, not, and that's when it, when it starts getting that granular about a smaller job. It's just like no. That, that it's yeah. This is this is the thing. Yeah. So what do you say? Uh, I'll fit it in because it's really local, literally at the end of my road, and uh, uh, somebody fairly young moved into a, a, a flat, which will need ongoing stuff doing to it. So just a you know an eye for for future work there. We'll uh, we'll keep them happy with this particular little job, uh, uh, and then see how things go. I've just had a message pop up on my Instagram from someone, and I, I don't want to em- embarrass them, but. Um, they've just said, can you come this Saturday to fix a, do- a loose door handle? <laughs> I think they've Sorry. probably kind of seen the Gosforth Handyman thing and assumed it's a handyman to hire rather than reading the description and realising that it's for my YouTube and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But even if I was still doing the handyman stuff, I wouldn't come out of the drop of a hat and destroy my weekend to fix a loose door handle. Uh, uh, at a weekend? No, no, no. You're you're a, a bloke in overalls. You're available to everybody's beck and call at all hours of the day and night, surely. Re- a really interesting thing, actually. I was doing, I actually, for this client where I do a little bit of painting, uh, I did a, a, a painting job for them. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a painter. I'm not particularly good at it, but I am tidy and I am careful. Uh, and that's what they like about me. And they were away for a week, so I went in uh, and, and rattled through a room for them. And I was, it, it's around the corner from the interior designers that I work for. And I was there reasonably early, as, as you do, uh, unloading bits out of the van. And I spotted a couple of the, uh, the, the folks who work at the designers coming down the road, obviously, on their way into work. And they were just chatting together. And you know, they got to me and I said, morning. And they looked at me like I was something you'd scrape off your mm. shoe, and then and then they recognised me, right? <laughs> because because I wasn't in contact, because I wasn't at their door. Oh, Peter, yeah, how are you? Gosh, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm working. You know, this is what I do. I you know, I put on overalls and I go to work. It's that kind of default bloke in overalls response of like head down and just uh, ignore the tradesman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange. Yeah, very strange. Because you know they're, they're lovely people and and. Uh, I'm sure they they don't think ill of tradesmen. They're just kind of you know, there's you zone those guys out when you walk into work kind of thing. It's just a, a really interesting, uh, interesting little take. Yeah, as a out of the corner of the eye thing, you can kind of vaguely excuse it, but I have a very short fuse for people who speak to me in any kind of belittling way when trying to book a job. And you know, it's like uh, <laughs> it, it'll typically come in as like. One would, I need this now, and um, if you could send me your best price, and then 
literally no sign off or you know no how uh, hi how are you doing or anything like that and it's like oh yeah yeah, go you know stick it up yeah Yeah. again any of those sort of email quote email inquiries you get and it's almost always email uh i found is that i'll need your best price because i'm i'm looking at uh, other alternatives yes and you think you know what uh, I'm sure you'll find somebody who will do your work, but it won't be me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, best of luck. I'm currently, that, that is when I say best of luck, I'm currently booking into uh, 2019. Yeah, you're one, in a ch- you're one in the chain of five people who have got the quote for this particular £100 job. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you should be grateful. Yeah, yeah. Cap in hand. But I mean, here's a, I'll read you out. This is a, an inquiry that's just come in. Um, this is a, a well-worded inquiry from a, a, a nice person, which I would dearly love to... So this is being added... Well, I haven't even had a chance to respond to this one. I'm, t- I'm so far behind. That's no, email. You don't do email, do you? But here, here's a typical, here's a typical <laughs> uh, inquiry. If, uh, and this maybe is quite interesting for anyone who's looking in, into getting into uh, the industry to do this sort of work. And here's a very typical inquiry that's come through. Yeah. The subject is a few jobs. We can wait until spring 2019. Okay. Which already they've actually bothered to read my message on the website that says I'm booked up till spring 2019, which is good. And they've just said, hi there, back door, uh, garden shed assembly, fitted cupboard, back kitchen, porch door, uh, to be sourced, size as necessary, large and needs to be hung. Would be great to discuss um, the price within the next couple of months as we understand you are busy and have a pipeline to deliver first. Uh, you were recommended, blah, blah, blah. By uh, Now, do you ever get this where you were recommended by, you've no idea who that person was? You've no idea who they were. That, that happened to this other one where, where the guy said, oh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, give me your best price because blah, blah, blah. You were recommended by blah, 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 blah. And I was trying to figure out who he was. And I think he was some guy who spammed right. me <laughs> on email trying to get me to sign up for one of those scummy recommended tradesman sites or whatever it was. Oh. You know, Ugh. There's another subject. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. Recommended by trading standards, you know. <laughs> mm. Anyway... But yeah, so there's a, a typical inquiry. It's succinct. It's to the point. It's polite. They understand I'm busy. They're happy to wait. They've told us exactly what needs to be done. But obviously, I would have to have a look at it. Uh, to be honest, um, none of it is particularly appealing work. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, bigger jobs like alcoves and custom furniture will always take priority over overhanging a door of course um but there's there's a typical kind of thing that comes through so it's nice when people do bother to read what you've put on the website and kind of yes yeah, so it, it's it, it's a good start isn't it let's be honest yeah and i think you can you can very quickly judge a customer or a potential customer as to how pleasant they are going to be to deal with long term mm. and uh, most of the time, if they've been nice to deal with from square one, they've been a pleasure to deal with as a customer and you've got paid, no problems, and they've, you know, access has been easy and they haven't had problems yep. with parking. And, you know, they, they've thought about all the things that they need to sort out and you just need to turn up. And they've moved stuff out of the room or, or moved it to one side or whatever. So many times you turn up to fit stuff, you're doing an alcove fit, and it's just full of the customer's junk that was there already. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I, I make it quite clear now before going out to the job, because I've had too many times where I've turned up and literally nothing's been moved. I've had to move kind of dirty washing out the road and stuff like that <laughs> before, oh, God, I, yeah. before I can start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so now I'm very much kind of, will you be getting the room ready before I turn up? Because I'll need X amount of space to work, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. I, I, I put it in the I put it in the estimate now. I said that the room needs to be clear or access needs to be given to, to the space that's uh, 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 to work in. Otherwise, you know, and, and whilst we are as careful as we can be, we're not responsible for any damage or, or uh, distress to to goods that yeah. are left in the room. And here's a here's an interesting thing that we I've been meaning to bring this one up and mm-hmm. uh, it's not actually on I don't think it's on my topic list so it's a, another 
off at a tangent. What do you do with rubbish? Um, generally speaking, depends what it is. If it's uh, if I'm taking something out to fit something new, so there's a set of shelves there, I'm taking those out to put in a new alcove unit, for example, that's the customer's property. That's their problem to dispose of. Um, I mean, there's a, yeah, I, 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 when there's a lot of it, and if they go, ooh, I don't know, I didn't realise that, I thought you'd take it away. Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly around here and quite possibly around where you are, the, the local authorities, the local councils have got very hot on uh, people carrying rubbish away. You are supposed to have a licensed, uh, you're supposed to be a licensed waste carrier just to take a black bin bag away in the back of your, of your van, uh, even though, even if it's, you know, household waste. Uh, in fact, there was a thing in the papers recently about uh, somebody who took something away, got fined, got caught and fined for it, missed the summons or whatever because he was on holiday and ended up with a, like, a £5,000 fine for this. Now, this goes towards the general idea of of anti-fly tipping and all that sort of thing. Uh, it is a problem here uh, uh, and possibly in other countries too where, you know, people just dump rubbish, which is really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it is a huge problem if you get a load of other people's crap dumped at the end of your driveway or, or whatever else, or, or even out on the street. And, uh, you know, you, you see people dump sofas and all kinds of things just on the street and assume that they will deal with it. But going after, you know, guys in a van just because they've got a couple of bits of wood in the back of it is is just opportunistic. Uh, and the, 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 the license to become a waste carrier isn't actually that expensive. And these have always been in place. Uh, they're just being a bit more heavily uh, policed these days. Yeah, but what, what would, if you got that license to be a waste carrier, what would you then do with the waste? Well, this is the, this is the thin end of the wedge. This is why I've always avoided it. Um, your license to carry the waste, I do have commercial waste disposal here in uh, uh, at the workshop because it's commercial bins, commercial waste, and I pay for that as part of my service charge. So I get rid of a lot of, uh, I get rid of a lot of that waste in those bins. Uh, anything bigger than that, then I get a licensed waste carrier in to deal with it. There are plenty of, you know, guys who claim to be licensed waste carriers who will come and, you know, take away for less than a skip's worth. Skips uh, around London are unbelievably expensive because if you get a skip in, you've got to compensate the local authority for the parking space that they lose even if it's outside your own home so that costs i mean it's it's as on top of the skip uh it's in the region of a couple hundred quid for the license just to park it on the street right so yeah i mean no no surprise then that there are licensed waste carriers driving big you know flatbed pickups with a cage on top to take away all this stuff um, you see, I, I think this is a, a huge problem, and, and uh, I've yet to hear a kind of solution to it. And if you've got a workshop where you can have commercial um, waste um, facilities, yeah. then then great. Yep. Um, but again, yours yours is presumably shared, so yes, it, yeah, yeah. So it's not your own dedicated not bin. At all, so yeah. even then. It's not as straightforward as just loading it up with as much rubbish as you want. Uh, it, it, ten, it tends to be exactly that, actually. <laughs> that's exactly what everybody right. else does. So that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so you're fairly free to do yeah, what you want yeah, with pretty it, much, basically. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fair enough. But yeah, if you don't have a commercial workshop where you can store a commercial bin and have a commercial refuse collection agreement with a company, yep. what do you do with your rubbish? Because you're not... You're not allowed to take it to the local tip. Uh, you can go to the commercial side, in which case you have to go on a way bridge and wear high vis and all that sort of stuff. I did, I did that once or twice. I thought, no, that's ridiculous. You know, and pay for it. I don't think we've got that. Um, not at our local tips anyway. Our local ones are purely domestic. They've got big signs outside saying if you dispose of any trade waste here you'll be prosecuted. Yeah. So you're not allowed to t- so you would have to go and I've spoken to the council and said, well, what do tradesmen do with waste? And they said, well, you have to 
get an agreement and get a, a trade waste bin, etc. And it's like, yeah, but I don't have commercial premises. And I was trying to explain, well, I predominantly work mobile at the customer's premises, but there's always stuff that you're going to have to potentially take away. And my general, same as, uh, same as you, my general rule of thumb is any waste kind of packaging materials, all that sort of thing, that's a customer's problem. But for, for a small amount of, say, a bin liner a week of um, workshop-type rubbish that you might have, um, technically you shouldn't be putting that in your um, domestic bin. And in your domestic waste, no. And you shouldn't no. be putting it in the, taking it to the council um, tip, the the refuse collection yard or whatever they get called. And round here, the council don't provide that I'm aware of any commercial facilities and if you want to do commercial trade um disposal trade waste disposal mm. you've got to go to a private company that's interesting and private companies aren't interested unless you're disposing of waste by the ton yeah right um and i've been in touch with various private companies around here to say well what do you do if you've only got a few bin liners of waste get is there a charge and they were like oh no we only accept it by container loads of waste you know right. it's like well what are you supposed to do with yeah it? that's a that's a real problem i'd be very intrigued um if if any of the listeners have a good solution to this because yeah i mean round here obviously uh, you know it's 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 a there are more people so it's more of a pressing problem perhaps so the uh, the the services have grown uh, to service that need there there are lots and lots of one-man band or small companies with several vans around who will do small amounts of waste. I mean, from 25 quid typically for a few bits of MDF uh, uh, to you know, larger quantities, whole quarter of a truck, half a truck, whatever else, um, at, at a higher price. And it's comparable to the uh, to the, the price of a skip, but without the, critically, without the um, the license costs, which is the, the, the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it is, but it is a real headache. Uh, and, and and again, I I always treat what comes out of a house as household waste. You know, people always talk about on on radio phone-ins or forums or whatever else about builders' waste. Most of that is actually coming out of the house. It's not stuff they take with them. It's 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 quite literally household waste because it's part of the house that's coming out. And interestingly, when I mentioned all this, because I, I was chatting to the council trying to come up with a solution and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, okay, I'll just get the householder to dispose of any rubbish relating to a, to a job. Oh no, they can't do that. Yeah. And it's like, no, if you, if that's been generated through a trade, it, even though it's their rubbish, so that it's their packaging, or uh, wood that they've bought and I've made something out of it and the scrap bits of wood left over, because that's kind of waste from a commercial job, that's then turned into waste that the household is not allowed to dispose of. It's nonsense, isn't it? Because it's no longer regarded as household waste. So if it was if it was a DIY job that somebody hacked together themselves, it would be totally fine. Yep. But because a skilled professional like ourselves has been involved... It suddenly becomes trade waste. What a load of nonsense! It's it's bizarre, but it's like what, what, what are you supposed to do? I'd, I'd yet to find a solution to this, and mm. I would love it if anyone has found a solution for yeah. small amounts of trade waste. What are you supposed to do with well, it? We've got plenty of them around here, but you need <laughs> you need to drive down to London first, which would require a licensed waste carrier's license. So you know, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a hike. <laughs> it is a bit. <laughs> I'd just take it out to those green fields and dump it if I were you. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, maybe that's why there is such a problem with fly tipping because we can't be the only people with this problem. No, absolutely not. It's, it's must be thousands and thousands of businesses out there generating trade waste who don't know what to do with this stuff. Yeah. And anyway, uh, um, a, a bit of tool news. Yes. Are, are you aware that Hitachi? Is turning into high cokey. Cokey, yes, indeed. Uh, they they had a stand at the Maker Central, I think, didn't they, where they were showing their rebrand. But it's actually happening now. I think a friend of the show, Keith Brown of Rag and Bone Brown, of course, has uh, an association with the Hitachi with the Higoki, and he's been putting bits and pieces on his uh, Instagram feed about his new uh, hair dryer. 
Oh, no, a leaf blower, wasn't it? That was it, yeah. Yes. So yeah. be prepared that as of, I think it's October the 1st that the official rebrand all takes place, but right. there, there will be no more Hitachi power tools and it will all be Haikogi um, uh, power tools with a clever little number one embedded in the logo, which I thought was quite nice. Nicely done. If you see the uh, Haikogi yeah. logo, hold on. I'll hold it up. Uh, let's see if you can. Oh, okay, I see what they've done. Yeah, okay. Nicely done. So that's uh, Haikogi. Uh, the the change took place. Well, it was announced about a year ago, I think. Um, and then I think the corporate name changed in June, and then the the full rebranding is from October, I think. So that's uh, an interesting one. Do you have any views on Hitachi changing the name? I am not a brand or marketing person, so my opinions are my own. <laughs> but I think Haikoki is a really ugly name, and I don't know why you would want to change the brand from Hitachi. I, I don't either. Hitachi is is a is a a brand that's been around forever. The Hitachi tools that I've had have been absolutely solid. Um, I I don't get it. I, I've got to confess, I don't understand why you would why you would change. Yeah, like that. I don't either. It it doesn't. I mean, uh, uh, they say that they're striving to be like the number one power tool brand, and hopefully, it'll bear out in the quality of the tools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, it does seem a strange move. I can kind of understand because Hitachi do a lot of other stuff, don't they? They make trains and, and, they and do. things. They do. And yeah, I think yeah, they're trying yeah. to segregate the power tool name. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, yeah. And the, the high is, you know, reminiscent of the high Tachi. Yeah. But I, I thought, I thought it was a bit of an odd name as well, but uh, well, we'll, we'll see where it goes, I suppose. Uh, one other little bit of, of tool news as well. Makita have brought out, this was back in July, but Makita have bought, brought out Omnibora, uh, or Bora, uh, Omnibora drill bits, which are multifunction drill bits that are supposed to mean that you no longer need separate masonry and wood bits. Okay. And uh, it says the new Omnibora range of drill bits um, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're suitable with a diverse range of materials, including concrete, tile, brick, slate, limestone, wood, composite materials, which I assume is like MDF and things, aluminium, plastics, totally eliminating the need to switch between drill bits. I do find it hard to believe that they're going to be comparably sharp to a nice sharp wood drill bit but i've got some some of the bosch multi multi-surface ones and they're pretty good but then you know compared to something like a brad point bit a, a lip and spur bit in wood there's just no comparison it's it's convenient if you uh just want to attach a baton to a wall you can just use the same drill and blat straight through the wood and into the brickwork but for anything remotely uh, anything with any sort of finesse to the uh, to the hole that you're drilling, then you you need a a, a better bit than certainly the, than the Bosch ones. Yeah, uh, of course, we'd be interested to see what Makita comes up with because this is just an announcement at the moment, and neither of us have had any uh, direct experience of it. But uh, my- yeah, I'm not sure if they're actually. I'm not sure if they're in the shops yet or not. I haven't seen them. But. Yeah, my exp- my experience with the Bosch ones is that they're they're good. They're they're you know for a masonry bit that will go through wood, uh, they will go through wood far better than a traditional masonry bit. But it's it's no wood bit. Yeah. Uh, for for the sort of wood bits that we typically use, you know, if you want a a decent quality hole with a minimum exit on the other side, then you need a a, a pretty nice set of uh, Fisher or Colt lip and spur bits, Brad Point bits. Yeah, and what are they going to be like after you've drilled a thousand holes in concrete? And, in concrete, and, uh, yeah. Not, not not so sharp, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought, but uh, interesting. Uh, Very, I'll, yeah. I'll be trying to get a hold of, of some of them at some point to see what they're like. Is, is that um, for a test Tuesday by any chance, Andy? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, although, n- now that I've been... Doing my uh, little bit of getting my hands dirty with Arduino. Yeah, tell me about that. I saw that on uh, on Instagram. You've you've got an Arduino, which is like a kind of Lego computer thing. Uh, 
So you, you can plug bits into it and, and make something bigger. Yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, I, I know nothing about Arduino. This is my first ever experience with Arduino. and Okay. And this, and this was for, you, you wanted to, uh, you've been, been doing your testing jig where you put various bits of pressure on your uh, screws or bolts or whatever else and see at what, at what point they let go effectively yeah exactly so so you want but you've bit, you've had a camera trained on the on the display to record this and then you've got to manually transcribe the whole thing and and you were looking to make something a bit more sophisticated a little bit more automated is that is that uh, the the cliffs cliffs notes version that that's perfect um i mean basically the the okay ne- next topic oh right no, okay. <laughs> next, next topic we're, we're done the the solution that i did have using the hanging scales it worked but it was very very clunky in terms of um as you say having to keep a camera trained on the display yeah which in itself isn't easy because as the load pulls down on the scale the display moves <laughs> of course yeah you, you're always having to have the camera in a position where you know that you're going to capture the starting position and you're going to capture the end position. And if, if you're too far zoomed in, you could end up missing out on the money shot, if you like. Absolutely. As, a, as an aside, have you ever done a time-lapse where you think, I'll do a time-lapse of me building this shelf, and you realise two-thirds of the way through that you haven't got back far enough and you're not going to get the top in? You've got to move it halfway through. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. Every time I do a time-lapse, it turns in, into an absolute nightmare. Something goes horribly wrong. <laughs> You've left a camera running for a day, and then the footage is completely unusable yeah. and... Uh, do, do you know what? I've got an old an old phone that I use for time lapses because it, it's absolutely flawless. Uh, as long as you can live with the quality from the camera, it seems to be okay. It's 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 so easy and and absolutely faultless as long as, long as the battery lasts. That's the only thing. We've gone off on a tangent, haven't we? We have. Sorry, you were telling me about your uh, your your uh, automated scale reader with an Arduino. Okay, I'll keep it brief because for people who aren't massively geeky about this sort of stuff, it'll get maybe a bit boring, but um, all I wanted to do was effectively get my scales, which are glorified luggage scales, but they're, they're high power. They go up to like uh, 300 kilos. So they're... Okay. They're, wow. They're, they're, yeah. You can, <laughs> I'm not traveling with you. Over a quarter of a ton on, on them. So they're, they're more for my, my wife's cases. <laughs> they're... Um, uh, I don't know what they're designed for, but they're just heavy-duty hanging scales basically I, I think they just put these capacities in because that's the capacity of whatever little dingus is in there yeah well these are specifically designed for really heavy weights like weighing bits of car engines and stuff i don't know mm. um anyway so what i wanted to do was have effectively a usb output from it that i could connect into a computer log yeah. the weights uh, or log the measurements that are coming out of it uh, and then graph it and then have an instant idea of peak readings and current readings and stuff like that. That's that's going to save you so much time transcribing all that data. Oh, absolutely. Well, at the, at the moment, I didn't even know what the peak reading was until I'd gone back through the footage of the camera that was looking at the scales, literally going through it frame by frame and I think I explained last time where I had like a problem where I missed a frame and I got the reading wrong and I ended up having to re- yeah. refill my whole load of the footage. Yeah. Um, so with this, I don't need to have a camera pointing at the scales anymore, which is just fantastic. All I need to do is... So I've USB-ified my hanging scales um, using um, uh, an Arduino and what's known as a load cell amplifier. Um, but basically the way these hanging scales work and as I found out the way pretty much every set of digital scales on the planet works, yeah, it's so simple. Um, once you kind of get your head around it, it's just a bit of metal where the resistance of that bit of metal changes as a load is applied to it. And these bits of metal come in lots of different shapes and sizes, right? um, whether they're designed to be pulled or pushed, um, or, or whatever, um, your typical household scales that you will stand on will have four bits of metal, one on each corner, and it'll just aggregate the values between the four okay. uh, load cells. But it, they all do exactly the same thing, and they're, they're very straightforward. So all I've done is I've used the load cell out of my hanging scales 
completely bypassed the rest of the electronics in the hanging scales. I don't use any of the electronics in the scale at all now. Okay. Um, and I'm only using the load cell out of it, but I'm still using the body of it because it was quite a neat body for hanging stuff onto. Um, and added a US, uh, the Arduino with the USB, uploaded the code needed to calibrate the scales, etc. because you have to calibrate them. Right. And got that all working. And that um, that was the easy bit. Um, a bit of dodgy soldering work and stuff, and, and that's done. That took about half a day. The thing that's been the challenge has been real-time graphing of this information. Yeah. And there's a lot of, as I found out, there's software out there, not a lot of software, but if you want to just monitor a serial port on a computer because it, it effectively comes through a, a COM port right. on, on your computer um, through USB, and you just need to monitor that port, and that port is just generating readings of, yeah. of however many per second. And if you just want to monitor that, that's easy. You can easily monitor it, shove it into a CSV, put it into Excel or whatever, and produce a graph. Right. But if you want to do that in real time, I thought that would be a really easy thing to do in real time, but it turns out it's not. Um, and there's various bits of graphing software out there most of them are designed for industrial applications and are way, way overkill for what I need. Yeah. And eventually I've managed to get a thing working where it links directly into Excel. And I've now got real-time graphing using Excel's own graphing functions. Oh, wow. And I'm going to do a whole video about it because it took a full day to get that actually working. I bet it did. Uh, because there was... Very, very little information out on the internet on on how to do this. Yeah. And the information that was out there was generally in another language, so you're having to use, like, Google Translate to try and work out how, how to do this. Nothing could go possibly go wrong with that, could it? Oh, Lordy. So, yeah, a full day, of, but it, it works. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. It works, and uh, I haven't tried it in anger yet, and the first one will be this coming Tuesday. Um, Brilliant. So, which, means, which means shooting over the weekend. Which, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have to do that on, well, I'm on a job on Monday, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to have to do it probably on the, on the weekend. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Okay, yeah, so... I'm going to keep it relatively simple for my first one, and I'm going to do a direct comparison between red plugs and brown plugs. Okay. one one One's bigger than the other. I know that much. Yeah. Also colours. A, a lot of people, it'll be interesting to see how this comes out, because obviously my video will come out before this episode of the podcast. Yes, good point. I think the red will do better than the brown, you know, um, because I'm going to use the same screw in each. Okay. Because both will handle a number 10 a 10 gauge screw I, I i to my eternal shame i have no idea what a 10 gauge screw is what, what's that in proper money it's uh, it's about five mil okay yeah i always thought that the, the yellow plugs are for like four mil red plugs are for five and brown plugs are for six i think red is um four to five brown is five to six um, right, okay so there's there's a definite overlap between the red and brown and I've looked into yeah. it on the spec sheets so that uh, a number 10 is fine. Because, you know, people people in the comments are going to be picking through your... <laughs> people will bring it up. Yeah. And it's like, no, I have looked into it. I want it to be a fair test between the two of them. I'm going to use the same screw. Um, and I, I think that the red will perform admirably. But uh, we, we shall see. And that, that'll be Tuesday's video. Right. Excellent. I couldn't tell you when I last used a brown wool plug, I've got to be honest. After... Because I did tests on the red ages ago and and they did spectacularly well you know it was it was coming on for quarter of a ton on one plug com comfortably wow and it's like well i'm never ever going to be using them for anywhere near that so and very rarely use brown these days um, yeah have you tried fisher duo plugs yes i've got them very very good yeah i've got them i'm getting through i'm still getting through my stock of old red plugs right and then i'm going to switch to just using the fisher duo because i think they are quite a good problem solver yeah they're a they're a fantastic general purpose screw because they'll do all kinds uh, and they've got an, a really nice feel to them when you can feel the, the screw. I'm making that twisty-turny yeah. motion with my hand when the screw is just biting nicely. It's got just a, a nice feel to it. Even even through a drill driver, you can just feel it when it's uh, 
when it's starting to nip up well. And they've brought out a very clever variant of them that you can use on plasterboard. Yes. Um, which, uh, not the normal one, but the the plug goes through the wall. Um, it has what looks like a cable tie attached to it. Oh. And when you push it through the wall, you pull the cable tie and it pulls the plug at 90 degrees to the wall. So the plug goes all the way through the plasterboard yeah. and out the other side. So the plug is now in, in the, the wall, cavity. Yeah. You pull the cable tie. It's a bit like a, um, a snap toggle. Okay. A, a little yeah, bit yeah. like a snap toggle. So it, it goes through. You pull this cable tie thing. It pulls it flush to the wall. Yeah. And then it, it you've got, obviously, a much bigger surface area pressing against the wall from the inside. Yeah. And then you, cr- you effectively screw into the side of the plug. But the nice thing about it is that if um, you can also use it as a normal plug, so you can screw into either the side or the front. front. So it's like okay. So it's like a Fisher. It's like the duo plug that you were mentioning, but you can also use it for fairly heavy loads in drywall. I haven't tried them, but I've just seen them on a video and they look very clever. Anyway, there's enough talk about plugs for. Any man. Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, yeah, sounds like a fascinating project, and I really look forward to seeing your video on that because uh, uh, it, it, I, I, I felt for you. I've, I've just done a video that's actually out today or two weeks ago, as we as we say in podcast land, where or just over a week ago, um, where I, I've, I've one more last gasp sort of Aldi vacuum video uh, where I actually changed the filter in it. I changed the bag for a, a Festool bag and then monitor the effect on that temperature, exhaust output, suckiness at the tool, all, all those sorts of things. Uh, and it is a, is it, a, it got to the point where I've got an overhead camera, I've got a camera doing the main shot, I've got my third camera on the, on the outputs of the, my air quality monitor and the temperature gauge. And I wanted to use another camera just to do a, a close-up detail of the inside of the vacuum, which is really messy, and I ended up having, having to use my phone. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only thing I had left, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's complicated. It is. It, it, it's tricky. And, I mean, now I'm being much more relaxed about recording a lot more B-roll footage just after the event um, and and then just adding it in with me doing a vaguely similar kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're telling a story, you know. Yeah. Uh, television programmes aren't made in real time. They're, they're made, you know, how, however the actors and talent are available. So you, you, you do scenes completely out of order because that's when people are available sort of thing. Uh, and it's the same with YouTube videos. Whatever you do, the, the B-roll, the cutaways, or whatever you call them, are done at a different time because if you stopped everything to just to do the the cutaways, then you'd be there. You'd never get a video week made, let alone two. But then, of course, in in real time, uh, sorry, in in the real world of production, you've then got a crew who would be keeping track of every bit of B roll and where that slots into the final uh, production. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing it yourself and you've produced maybe 20 or 30 bits of B-roll to go with one uh, video, trying to then work out where they... Because you had it in your head when you filmed it. Oh, I'll need this yeah. bit for there, this bit for there, this bit for there. And then you import the whole thing onto your project and it's like, oh, where do they need to go again? And it, yeah. it can take a while anyway. Well, you, 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 I end up doing that in the in the edit that you... you I put a basic edit together and I run through it and I see... I mark yeah. on the timeline where I where I want cutaways to go, and it's not hard to do. You've just got to, you know, it's almost an instinctive thing. You think, ah, yeah, this is this is dragging on a bit. I need to put, you know, cutaway to something else there, uh, or I mentioned something that it wouldn't wouldn't hurt to have a detail on. We'll just pop that in as a as a little cutaway, and and then it tends to work uh, tends to work pretty well. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Uh, markers are my to do list in a video. Yes. Uh, every everywhere I put a marker is a thing that needs to be done, and once I've got rid of all the markers, I know the video is pretty much ready. That, that's how I work through it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. anyway, um, what else were we talking? Oh, we got um, a question through. Um, well, I got a question via my channel because I did a review of uh, some safety glasses. Um, oh yeah, and the were they the ones that you had from? 
Just before Maker Central yes. last year. Tool Freak yeah. sent me okay. them. Tool Freak, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, best part of over, a, well over six months ago was they sent us some, and I finally got round to having a I'll proper I'll just look. say, I have an awesome memory. Let's just leave um, it there. Yeah, I'm very impressed. <laughs> I'm very impressed. But yeah, I gave away some of them at Maker Central, and um, I've been using them for the last six months. But we can, I can honestly say it's a fair review because I have been using them for six months. And they they are really comfy. But anyway, I don't want it to turn into a tool freak advert. They're not paying anything. <laughs> um, but but someone asked on my comments um, how you handle safety glasses if you wear glasses. And yep, biggest problem. And uh, I said, well, I shall ask Peter on Friday. Mm. Short answer is uh, you broadly don't. Uh, It it is almost unbelievable. Uh, 66% of all adults in Britain wear glasses. Uh, That's that's quite a high proportion. Obviously higher with age. Uh, And it is a real headache. You can get prescription safety glasses, but they are pretty expensive. Oh, you've only got one set of eyes. That's the sales pitch at the back of everybody's mind. Um, uh, but it's it's really difficult. Uh, the, the glasses I have have safety lenses in them, but of course there's space all around the eye where bits of debris uh, could get in. So they're not the, the, the final solution. If you take your glasses off and put on safety glasses, then, you know, how safe are you when you're not reading your, uh, when you're not using your corrective eyewear? Uh, it, it is a real headache. Uh, any kind of goggle, any kind of visor, uh, VR glasses were, a, you know, those VR headsets were a big deal a couple of Christmases ago. Not one flipping designer must wear spectacles because they just don't work. Really? You can't wear, yeah, you put, put a set of VR glasses on, you can't see what you're looking at because you're not wearing any glasses. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I know even um, for going to the movies and stuff like that, and I, I can't stand 3D films anyway, but I, mm. I wear gla- I'm short-sighted, so I have to wear glasses for driving and, uh-huh. and for seeing things. And uh, when I go to the cinema, I've got my glasses on, and on the few occasions that I have tried to do the 3D thing, and you're trying to wear 3D glasses over your normal glasses... Yeah. And um, it, it's just terrible. It just doesn't work. And um, But I wasn't sure if anyone had come up with a clever solution for this, for safety nope. specs. Nope. Uh, you can get sort of oversized safety specs that go over your existing glasses, but they're generally horrible. Mm. And uh, there's you get an awful lot of fogging, I find, because you've got two sets of glasses in there. You don't get the airflow around them. Uh, when one perspires freely, they tend to get a bit steamy inside. And uh, the the short answer is I, I haven't found mm. a solution to it yet. Uh, I, I just take, you know, a great deal of care when I'm cutting or, or doing anything like that uh, and, and try and avoid the sort of tools that, that will spit out bits at me, which, which is hard, you know. It's part of the job sometimes, in which case I tend to wear a, a, a visor, uh, which, which is hard because, again, I, I think as we we may have had this conversation before when I was doing the spray painting, it gets covered in muck and rubbish uh, or scratched up. Uh, and then, you know, how safe is that? If you're, if you're peering through a murky, dusty, scratched up visor, which, of course, you can see perfectly clearly yeah. because you've got your glasses on, uh, is, yeah, it's it's an almost impossible... Uh, Hobson's choice. You, you, yeah, I, I, I go the other way. I, I take as much care as I can whilst wearing regular glasses with safety lenses in them, but they're not the, you know, the big safety safety glasses. Uh, it's something I need to look at. Uh, it, it seems to be uh, unnecessarily complicated. I've got to get my eyes tested again anyway, because uh, I know my my. Pr- Prescription has, has changed a little bit. So I do need to do that anyway. So when I do that, I'll also look at uh, when I've got a new prescription, because I might get a yeah. couple of years out of them. I'll look at some prescription safety specs. Uh, but again, they're not the sort of thing you want to wear all the time. Well, that's the thing. And th- the thing that I really liked about these ones that I was testing um, is that they've got the foam liner around the, the lens oh, itself. Right. So whereas with other safety glasses, 
I've found that you do get chips still coming in under the under the safety glasses, especially if you're working with melamine yeah. and, and things like that. And you know what it's like when you get a little chip of melamine in your eye. It's awful. Yeah, oh, God, horrible. And, yeah, and um, with these, it's got, like, the foam liner around, and I've never had a problem with chips going in my eye, and I, I wish they would make a prescription version of those glasses because uh, they're amazing. And, and they're so comfortable. They're, uh, literally, I, I can have them on for a full day and just not realise I've got them on. They're, they're just, I think because the foam kind of spreads the weight, so it's not all just resting on your nose. And it seals them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I, you know, maybe tool-free cell frames that we can put lenses in. Uh, and, and this is the other headache, of course, you know, all the, uh, the way of getting reasonably economical sets of safety specs with prescription lenses is to do them online. And of course, you don't get the opportunity to try the frames on. So you might end up getting a, a 300 quid pair of glasses that you hate to wear, in which case we're back to square one. <laughs> and, and you're out by 300 quid. There's got to be a market out there for relatively expensive, uh, inexpensive, comfortable prescription safety glasses. That, 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 it must be a massive market, you, you would think. You'd, you'd think so. You'd think so. Uh, and yet... Nobody seems to be catering for it. So we're coming up to the one hour already. Already, goodness me. Um, um, I've got another thing that came... Well, there's another th- question that came through on the email. Now, we can either talk about that for 10 minutes or we can dedicate the rest of the next show to it. Um, and someone was asking <laughs> uh, about... Um, Sorry, had a mouthful of water there. That was a weird laugh. Um, someone was asking Goodness. about how we deal with um, the the financial side of running a business in terms of dealing with receipts and logging information and all that. that and <laughs> this is going to this is going to be fun. Quite, yeah, t- t- tell me about inbox that's zero. Quite a, yeah. That's quite a big inbox. <laughs> yeah, um, that's quite a big topic. So, what do you reckon? Should we hold that? for next time and maybe talk about a couple of the littler topics yeah yeah okay that's a, that's a that's a good one because uh that that's uh that relates to a lot of people i'm sure i um, think so um so yeah. we'll we'll chat a little bit more next time about tax to a degree and record keeping and just the the admin side of running a business i think that would be be quite a good one for next yeah sure in two weeks time um and for the we'll keep a couple of other topics for the after show and one of them you had mentioned was backup strategies yeah i mean for obviously this is youtube principally but uh, for for everything generally um uh we we talked briefly in the last show i think about how much data how much stuff we generate as as YouTubers and indeed podcasters. So we'll we'll chat about that a bit more in the in the after show, which is available via uh, Patreon. Absolutely, all, all, any and all Patreon supporters have access to the after show. Thank you very much, and we appreciate all your support. Absolutely, and we'll chat a bit more about backup strategies in general because if if um, I think that's quite a, an interesting one to to chat about. Maybe we'll 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 have a quick chat about the YouTube side, and then we'll chat about the the businessy side of backups next time while we're also talking about the admin side of things or, or something. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Let me let me throw out a quick topic then because it's a, it's a it's a fun one. I had a, a I chat through email with a with a guy I know through a forum, um, and uh, he's he's, a, he's not in London. He's, he's elsewhere, and he was contacted by a London agency recently. Uh, and I'm not going to name any names, but to to do some work in a a prominent Premier League footballer's home. It's just a few odds and ends, apparently. I haven't, haven't spoken to him since it was happening this week, uh, so I don't know quite how it went. But he said, you know, you being in London, have you ever worked for anybody famous? Um, and I, you know, yeah, there are more famous people in London because it's a magnet, but of course there's plenty of famous people all around the country, and I, I, I wondered if you'd ever worked for uh, any any famous Geordies. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got you've got Ant, you've got Deck. I, have, I, haven't, uh, I haven't done any work for Ant or Deck. Uh, famous Geordies. Well, okay, we've we've not had the football chat 
Peter. We've not had the we haven't had the football chat. No, we haven't. We haven't had the we haven't had the football chat. No, I, it, it's taken um, eleven episodes and well, twelve episodes, and I, I don't like football. Okay. So ni- neither a neither a Sunderland nor a Newcastle supporter. Then. Okay, let let me just take a slight step back. Because, yes, I'm from Newcastle and I don't follow football. And I think I'm the only person by what I can gather. I think there may be one other, but, yeah, not, not many of you. I, I like football, but I don't follow football. So I, wa- I watched the World Cup and, and stuff and enjoyed that, although I kind of lost interest when, when England uh, kind of left proceedings. Failed, failed miserably to Croatia, who worked extremely hard and out, out, outplay them on all levels. Yeah. Well, uh, so I have very, very limited knowledge of football and, you know, if Newcastle games were on normal telly, I would watch them, but I'm certainly not paying to watch them because I, I don't know when I would even have time to watch them apart from anything else. Um, but I did enjoy the World Cup. I found it very stressful to watch. And I found that because we kind of watched it as a family and right. we would all sit there. And by the end, I was just a mess. You know, I, I found it was exhausting to watch. Um, very enjoyable. Yeah. It, it, there's a certain amount of self-flagellation you go through uh, with, with any team, pretty much. Possibly not Manchester City last season or this, if you're one of their fans. Uh, there's not much pain that you go through but for just about every other team there you know you have ups and downs it's a it's a roller coaster and that's that's part of the that's part of the enjoyment of it bizarrely yeah so stressful honestly i i i couldn't do that week in and week out i think i would be a a mess so as a result and and i i'm a geordie i love newcastle i want newcastle to do well at football but I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. Are, are they in the Premiership, or are they still in that other division that's not the Premiership? Yeah, they're, in the, they're in the Premier League. But is there another? There's not another league above the Premier League now, is there? No, no, no. Is that somewhere else? Anyway, okay. Let's just brush over that. There, there are many leagues, but the Premier League is the is the primary league in uh, in Britain. Was yeah. there talk of another league coming out? That was... I think somebody was trying to set up a, like a Super League. Uh, to to run during summer is that what it was when 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 footballers take the time off to go back to the factories and you know make shoes or whatever it is they do because footballing is just a part time job as we know yeah um yeah. Uh, don't know how they survive yeah it's it's just you know this is why they have memorial games when they retire so they can <laughs> make a few yeah good. I suppose <laughs> so as a result um I have done work for. Premiership footballers, but I was blissfully unaware ah, okay. until someone had said, "Oh, that's dot 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 who plays for whoever," and it's like, "Ah, oh. you'd you, you'd have recognised the city, but not necessarily the person." Yeah, um, I mean, there was one quite telltale one, uh, and this was back in handyman days, mm. and it was putting up a whole load of um, signed shirts. A okay. customer, so they were all framed signed shirts, but they're all quite heavy, you know, big glass framed things. The sort of thing that you don't want to accidentally drop and smash. No, no, no. And uh, I had a, a whole house to kind of deck out with. It must have been about twenty of these all over the place wow. and a, a, above the stairwell in really, really high up locations and, mm. and stuff. So people, go, oh god, those stairwell picture hanging things are a nightmare. Aren't oh, they? hey, uh, I had to have this combination of ladders set up because yeah. in, in you totally... can't you can't quite reach them from the upstairs landing. It's yeah. just too far. So you've got to have a ladders and platforms and you oh, know, yeah, in there, uh, anyone anyone watching from a health and safety perspective <laughs> would just be <laughs> holding their head in shame. Um, but, you know, you've got to get the job done. And it wasn't until afterwards that, uh, and I think they said, oh, yeah, he plays for Sunderland or, or something. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. Uh, and it, what was it? He, he played for a number of premiership teams. And yeah, his they, current, they move around, yeah. Yeah, his they, current team was, was Sunderland. But he seemed to have quite a lot of Sunderland shirts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had literally no clue. So I think I've done... Work for a few footballers, but I, I don't know who they are. But you couldn't say. I'm ashamed okay. to say because obviously the, there's quite a lot of Premiership footballers up here. Yeah, all, all no, there are all around, but particularly in that Newcastle Cheshire sort of band. It's uh, 
it, it attracts uh, uh, the guys who who have a few quid and uh, like the country life within with, with relatively easy access to a city. Which you know who can who can blame them? Yeah, yeah. And other than that, um, I haven't done work for any kind of filmy people that I can think of. Um, not off the top of my head. I think it's mainly been football-related people. What about yourself? Um, uh, the short answer, no, not really. Uh, although I've worked with, for a few sort of quite high-up folks in the BBC, because obviously the BBC around here, lots of people uh, who live around here worked for the Beeb. They tend to be management, backroomy type folks, uh, so not front of camera. I've done a couple, but they're, they were front of camera from, you know, a while back, so their 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 time has passed, really, if you like. Uh, uh, but overwhelmingly, uh, terribly nice people, uh, very genuine, uh, mostly writers, journalists originally, who then moved into you know front of camera sort of positions. Um, but no, the the closest brush with fame that I've actually had was again back in the handyman days. I was doing some work in an apartment building in Holland Park, which is quite a fancy sort of part of London, near, near Notting Hill Gate. And I was just doing a few odds and ends for a, a family that had a, a flat in this apartment building. Uh, and they said, you know, oh, did you get an okay? Did you park okay? That's right, yeah. And in conversation, apparently, Honor Blackman also lived there. Now, Honor Blackman, you might not be old enough to, to remember this, Andy, but Honor Blackman was a, a Bond girl back in the day. She, was, uh, she played Pussy Galore in uh, 1964's yes. Goldfinger. Yes, you could get, a, get away with names like that back then. And uh, the, but the, the, the family I was working for had never seen her, or apparently she lived in the building and you know, whatever. Anyway, at the, the end of the job, the lifts, you know, busy. So I, I was only on the second floor. So I sort of struggle manfully down the staircase with my stacks of sustainers, my little, you know, all my bits and pieces, my toolboxes and stuff. As I got to the bottom of the staircase, I sort of just settling myself down to get the door. There was a bing and the lift door opens and who should walk out? Who should waft out of the <laughs> of the lift door but Arnold Blackman? Oh, wow. And sort of being, uh, being a gentleman, of course, I... Open the door. She, she she was doing a lot of sort of daytime telly, little interviews and stuff at that time. I don't know if she had a film out or whatever it was. But she she was popping up in radio and TV and, and stuff. So she had a little sort of you know makeup bag case with her. So being a gentleman, I, I opened the door for her, and she said, "Oh, thank you, darling. What lovely little boxes you have." And then and then wafted away to a, an awaiting car. <laughs> And that was it. That was my wow. the closest I've come to a brush with fame. Thank you, darling. What lovely little boxes. Um, yeah, so uh, so there we are. Uh, that made my day. Wow. <laughs> so sustainers have met on a Blackman then? Sustainers have met on a Blackman, yeah. yeah. And she looked fantastic. She must have been in her mid-70s back then, so uh, she's still very true. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I- oh, but no, that's 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 the only kind of the closest I've come to a brush with fame to to anybody. Worked for a lot of wealthy people, but uh, not famous people. I get the impression, I mean, do you do any services uh, any work through concierge services or do you do No, you- I don't. I I've d- I did a little bit when I was doing the handyman stuff, but not now. Cuz I I haven't um but I've had a lot of inquiries from them, but every time I've dealt with them it's been a nightmare. Um just kind of trying to even arrange a time to go and visit the property before doing the work. It's just been horrendous. Because yeah, it's, it's an extra spoke in a wheel that you don't need. Well, they're, they're, it's an extra. Not only are they not even local, they're often not even in this country. Uh, the, yeah. the the concierge service is often elsewhere in the world. You know, they could be anywhere in America or, or anything. And you're trying to deal with this company to arrange going to do a site visit to do a very specific bit of work. Yeah. Um, and... All you want to do is speak to the homeowner and find out what they want. Um, whereas every single question you ask them, oh, I'll I'll have to go back and check, or I'll have to go back and check, yeah. and it's like, yeah. oh, forget and, it. And then when you throw t- throw different time zones into this as well, uh, let alone different languages, it's it's chaotic. Yeah, best best avoided. So I I get the impression that most famous people probably do get a concierge in to handle all that sort of stuff for them. Quite possibly, but. I tend to avoid that kind of work. But it's not to say that it's not work you should be doing, but I would rather deal with people face-to-face. Um, yeah. I think it's 
makes life infinitely easier. Yes, I, I agree. And on mm. that note, we should probably move over to the uh, after show for this week. We should probably call this a day. Uh, yeah, good uh, good show. Should we keep our um, best YouTube comment of the week for the after show? Well, I think we we should, yeah. Uh, uh, I've got a couple of crackers. Oh, my. Excellent. Do I, do I have some good so ones? So if you want to listen a little bit about YouTube back, backup strategies and about our best YouTube and most uh, stupid YouTube comment of the week, <laughs> get yourself over to Patreon and we shall continue the conversation over there. In the meantime, a massive thank you to all of our... Patreons who support the show, you are literally helping to keep things running and to keep the lights on, especially to uh, Nick Fashado, this Sissel uh, too, Brendan at the Shades Workshop, Adrian Millington, Paul Gardner, Eddie Carroll, Carl Poutney, Peter Tone, Owen Bullock, and Adam Padley. Uh, yeah, thanks so much to those guys. Also, Christopher Mark Duthie, Harry Kappa, Chris Davidson. Hi, Chris. Uh, Douglas Steele, Tim Bowers, Steve Avery, Tony Camel, uh, Max Weitz, Mark Duff, and Ben Harker. Awesome stuff. Thank you to everyone. You can support the show over at uh, patreon.com slash measuringuppodcast. And uh, any level of support on Patreon will mean you'll have access to the after show as well. And uh, where can people find you, Peter? Uh, people can find me at... Uh 10minuteworkshop.tv on the YouTubes or at 10minuteworkshop on all the social things. How about you, Andy? Uh, Gosforth Handyman on everything apart from Twitter, which on Twitter it's Gosforth Andy on Twitter. Yes, yeah, sorry. 10minute t- shop on Twitter. I can always forget about that because they do like short usernames. And just to very briefly cover, I'm finding at the minute that Twitter is getting busier than Instagram. But maybe that's just a... Uh, strange randomness thing yeah i haven't, I haven't noticed i've, I've noticed I've, i'm posting more on instagram i've put more on instagram in the last couple of weeks and uh, and i'm getting a lot more generating a lot more interest through that uh but then we we cross post to twitter as well so um, i haven't I haven't noticed a big spike in in twitter followers no you haven't noticed any different i think it's just it's the algorithm uh probably out of our hands in that case. So if you want to post any feedback about the show, you can get us on Twitter and Instagram. Best places to find us are, of course, you can always email us comments and suggestions. Contact at measuringuppodcast.com. We got a message from Pad in Iceland lis- listening to the show, and he sent us a, l- a beautiful picture of him driving down the road. Um, obviously, he's a passenger. And he's listening to the podcast, and he says, Hello, gents. My name is Pad. I'm originally from the British Isles, but I currently live in Iceland. And discovered your podcast while he's been listening on the five-hour drive that he does every week to go to and from his work at uh, Skaftafell National Park. Wow. So that's pretty awesome. Um, And he's potentially returning to the UK to do carpentry, uh, well, to do a carpentry course. So he's been enjoying the show and fantastic to have a comment from Iceland. So thanks for that, Pad. Certainly is. So yes, if you, if you do want to speak to us, um, Measuring Up Podcast on Instagram and Measuring Up PC on Twitter. So thanks again for listening, folks. You can join us over on the after show straight away over on patreon.com slash Measuring Up Podcast. And for everyone else, see you in two weeks' time. Absolutely. I'll see you then. Take care.